Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Neil Bacon is my guest today. Neil is a ventriloquist, a performer, and a motivational speaker. And he's also going to share how those things tied together. Now, Neil spent most of his life on quick fix diets. And I know many of the listeners today are going through or have gone through the same scenario. Eating food he didn't like and exercising very little. Neil has learned that he had to change his basic eating habits and start exercising in order to sustain weight loss. And he did this in a way that most people don't do. And he's going to share that with us as well. In 1998, Neil stepped on the scale and he was surprised. He was shocked because the scale read 425 pounds. In fact, it read more than that because the scale had spun around. So with a, um, he knew he had a young family and he knew that he had to make some changes. He wanted to have his kids see him grow up. So I'd like to introduce you now to this incredible man with an incredible story, Neil Bacon. Good morning, Good morning. Neil. Good morning, Carol. So you've got quite You've met quite the challenge, and this is exciting because, as I mentioned, many people have this problem, and you are here to show us that you were one that had an overwhelming problem and overcame it, and this is what we want to uh, zero in on today. Now, many people who have these weight issues, of course, have underlying problems in their life. Were you one of these people, and if so, tell us about that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the vast majority of people uh, that that overeat or that are overweight or whatever, they're they have a hole they're trying to fill with food. There's something missing. Mm. In 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 my case, uh, I was born and raised in the Lower Mainland of BC, and in 1968, my dad moved his business to a small town way up north. Uh, I always said that you go to nowhere, go about 10 miles past, and that's where it was. Uh-huh. Now, and it was excuse me, it Neil, was cult- BC is yeah. where you didn't British Columbia. Okay, Canada. and that's in Canada. Okay, go ahead. Um, it was culture shock, you know, going from a city to a town of twenty five hundred people. I'm not a small town person, nothing against that town particularly, but I just hated it, and I sought escape, and I couldn't physically escape, so I started to eat, and the problem was then I started to gain the weight, and as a fat kid in school, and in those days I was the only fat kid in school. Now, really? you know, it's a huge, huge issue. Right. But th- then I was the fat guy. So I got all the abuse. I got all the jokes. Um, things I, like gym classes and stuff were not designed for an overweight child. You did the same thing everybody did. We started every class in junior high expected to run a mile. I'm, I'm the guy who would have faked PMS to get out of gym class. <laughs> and, they, and, and they wanted me to run a mile. That, it wasn't happening. And I just got more miserable and ate. And then you get into that spiral of you eat and you eat and you gain. Then you feel ashamed of how much you gained. So then you feel guilty. So then you eat some more. So then you gain some more. Now you're ashamed about that. And, you know, that cycle goes on and on and on. And it, it for a lot of people, they have to have that aha moment. Uh, many years ago, I worked in the addictions field. And we always said someone's got to really hit the bottom before they look up. Well, food can be every bit as much of an addiction as, you know, uh, tobacco, alcohol, or drugs. Of course. So and, what? and you oh, said that my, um, you know, my wake up, I actually had two. One was, as you described, the day I got on a scale uh, and it 
the maximum of that scale was 425 and I stood on it and I heard clink and that's because it had gone all the way around and wanted to go higher. So I'm not sure how high I actually was. Uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing closer to 450 than 425. Um, That was one eye opener. The other one was my kids were quite young then and we had gone camping. This particular campground had a pool. Although I think they pumped the water straight in out of the ocean because there were icebergs and penguins floating <laughs> past. And we were in the pool and just, you know, tossing my son around and we were fooling around. Well, after about 10 minutes, I felt like, you know, you see in the cartoon character where somebody's heart is beating out in front of their chest. Wow. And I said, I have to stop. Well, for the rest of that camping trip, my son, Kevin, didn't want to. Yes, my son's name is Kevin Bacon. Um, he didn't <laughs> want to. He, he didn't want to play with me. And I thought he was mad at me, and I finally cornered him one time, and I said, since we got here, since the day in the pool, you don't want to play. You don't want to go on a hike. You don't want to play badminton, nothing. And he said, no, Dad, I don't want you to die. And that was you know, a day that just shattered my heart, and that was when I realized, yeah, there's a very real possibility. I could just keel over. So that was when I decided I had to turn it around. How difficult or how easy was that? Oh, well, as I say, considering that, you know, exercise was a foreign concept to me um, and being an emotional eater, um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to like blame my mother, but my mom was raised in the north of England during the war and the Depression. So if you could put food on the table, uh. you, would, you would accomplish something. My mom's a charter president of the Clean Your Plate Club. <laughs> um, there were always starving children somewhere that would have loved to have that food. Um so you you cleared your plate. No matter how full you were, you cleared it. But the other problem was, as I said, being that fat kid who got picked on, I'd come home from school and I'd had a bad day. I'd been picked on and my mom would go, oh, I'm sorry. Here, have a cookie. Well, I was in theater and in drama. That was my big escape. And when I'd come home and I'd had a great day, mom would go, well, good for you. Have a cookie. Oh, yes. So good or bad, emotions became tied to food. And that's what that was the first cycle I had to break. And I'll tell you, the person who saved my life is Richard Simmons. Because I started doing the old, you know, sweating to the oldies, if people remember those. Richard was the only fitness guru, whatever you want to call it, at that time that would deal with people who were what's called morbidly obese or super morbidly obese. And I started with his tapes and I started with his uh, program he used to have called Deal a Meal. And then I moved to the food, the food mover. And that started bringing the weight down and I started to realize I tried every diet that came down the road you name it the cabbage soup and the Atkins and South Beach and whatever you know there's the new one the two-week diet and all I lost was 14 days Um, I tried them all and they they don't work because they're short-term solutions and Richard uh, people have heard for years that Richard actually does stay in touch with his clients he does I've been writing back and forth to Richard for years and Richard said to me one time he said Number one, it is an emotional issue, and he said, don't wait till you lose the weight to like yourself because all you're going to be is a smaller version of the same person. That's excellent. Say that again, Neil. Don't wait until you've lost the weight to like yourself because all you're going to be is a smaller version of the same person. That's amazing. And Richard also said that – well, he said Americans, I'll say North Americans being from Canada, we are digging our graves with a fork. It's another good one, yes. You know, and and he's been there all along, and he was the big one, the the encourager. And of course, um, my wife is my. She's never nagged. She's never been one that you have to lose the weight or whatever. Okay. But she would come to me and say, "I'm worried. I don't want you to die." Like my son said to me, she was worried. She was concerned for my health. It was never nag, nag, shame, shame, because she just knew that that wouldn't work. And that's probably a part of the motivation, too, was because she wasn't nagging you. It was exactly. a positive motivation. It was a positive driving force, actually, and, because you wanted to please her. Right. And and as the weight has come off, uh, she's my biggest cheering section. You know, that's um, great. I belong to a group I joined about four years ago called Tops. Uh, for those who don't know, it's called Taking Off Pounds Sensibly. And they're all over North America. In fact, they're around the world now. And um, in my first year, um, I went up and down the same two pounds for a year, nearly drove me crazy. And I thought, well, this, like everything else, didn't work, so I quit. And I got barraged with phone calls from the other people in the group saying, please don't quit. Please don't give up. 
Because TOPS is a support group. They don't follow a particular diet or plan okay, okay. whatnot. It's support. And that was the whole point is they were saying, don't leave us. Don't quit. And so I stuck it out. Um, one tip that people might want to check, because <clears throat> the joy of being that overweight, I got ended up with diabetes. And my endocrinologist, I, I said to him, am I on any medication that's making me gain weight and he looked them over and he said no none of them can make you gain weight not like a cortical steroid or something uh -huh. but one of them that i was on he said will make taking the weight off almost impossible really and he switched out one med and pounds just started dropping off again so i would say talk to people should talk to their doctor if they're fighting that two pound merry-go-round ask the doctor am i on anything that's fighting against me in terms of getting weight off Very is there something point. else i can take very good point. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. Now, breaking the cycle. Now, you alluded, you know, a little bit to what your motivation was, but what did you have to actually do to break the cycle? And was the cycle strictly mental? A great deal of it was. Um, the number one question I kept asking myself, and I still do, I mean, understand that it's an addiction and it's a day-to-day -day struggle. Am I hungry or am I bored? Or am I hungry or am I angry? You know, fill in the emotion. Okay. And when I'm in my office, sitting here in my office, I have a cup of tea. I always have my tea with me, but I don't even allow food in my office when I'm working. But when I'm sitting in front of the TV doing a mindless activity, I can pack it away like anybody else. And so I have to be very cautious of that. And if I am going to snack, then it's what I snack on that had to change. Right, right. I was a big potato chips. I'm not a chocolate sweets person. I'm more the salty crunchy. Uh. And if I opened a bag of chips, well, they had to be gone. You know, I had to eat them because they'd go stale. Of course. Yes. That's, that's uh, it's logical. like an alcoholic that opens a bottle of booze and throws the cap away. That's right. Um, and so then you get into things like portion control. Um, if I do buy anything like potato chips or whatever, I get them in these small bags, the what they call lunchbox size or the ones you give out at Halloween. Right. Right. And then I can open it, eat that entire bag. But I, have you ever seen one of those? You open up, there's like 12 chips. Exactly. You know, in those little bags. It's enough. Good you know, points. The, Very good points. Con portion control is a huge, huge issue for people because we are overserved in restaurants particularly. But the problem is – that's the plate we're used to seeing. So then we go home and we serve ourselves and we make, well, this is how much they give me in a restaurant. So I'll load up my plate at home. And one of the things I did years ago was I switched to using from a dinner plate to a bread and butter plate. I've heard that. That, that is effective, you believe? A, sm a smaller plate. Uh, over the years, as an entertainer, I've worked a lot of jobs. You know, there's an old joke when people say I'm an actor and people say, really, what restaurant do you work in? <laughs> um, I managed a thrift store. Okay. And we used to get sets of china donated uh some of them 100 years old like grandma passes away and right. we get all the stuff from her estate and i remember one of my sorters called me down to the sorting room and said we got this beautiful china set but there's no dinner plates now well that's weird they said it was a set a setting for eight and i went through it all and i realized it's because the dinner plate then was what <laughs> we would call a bread and butter plate now oh, our, my our plates have gotten that much bigger over the years isn't that interesting? It, it's like in the soft drink industry, which yes, that could be a whole show in itself. Um, <laughs> but um, you remember many years ago, I think it was Pepsi used to have their jingle six ounces. That's a lot uh. as part of their jingle. Do you know the average size of soft drink serving now? Probably a liter. Uh, 20 ounces is the standard. Wow. Um, but we have a 7-Eleven not far from us. And have you ever noticed 7-Elevens always seem to be near a high school or, or an yes, elementary school? Yes, yes, And I watch high school kids. This one's not far from a high school. They get this. I don't know what they call it. Uh, the granddaddy big gulp. I don't know. It's like a bucket with a handle on it. And this is the, the kids buy this. They can fill it up and then they can go back and they reset, refill it for about 59 cents. Oh, my word. Because the pop cost them next to nothing. Right. Right. It's once they got that mug. OK. Right. Well, do, you know, do you know how much that thing holds? Sixty four ounces. Oh. So I think we have a problem, uh, an a solution to a problem in our schools. Well, the, the I'll tell you the problem with the childhood obesity thing, because it is huge. Um, we've read many, many times where the current generation coming up will have a shorter lifespan than the generation before them. Yes. Um, and we're getting seeing kids now, you know, 
six, seven, eight years old getting type 2 diabetes. Oh, my goodness. Right. Type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset. That's right. Because you didn't get it until you were an adult. Well, now kids are getting it at seven and eight and nine years old. And it's because of the crap that we we live on. You know, um, it's cheaper to to go through, you know, pick your favorite drive through and and grab a dollar burger and a dollar drink. There's dinner. Oh, you're absolutely right. Kids are being shown this. Part of the problem is the high school that my two kids went to, uh, like all high schools, are having the problem where their budgets get cut. And Coca-Cola comes along and says, well, I'll tell you what, for X amount of dollars, we'll give to your sports program. We want to be the only vending machines in your school. Oh. So here's a soft drink company contributing money to the sports program, and yet they've got a machine full of junk food. You, you know, there's kind of a mixed message there. Exactly. You know, um, they fill them up with things like Gatorade. Okay. The only people who should be drinking, there's two reasons to drink a drink like Gatorade. One is if you're a professional athlete sweating it out, you're pounding it out for, you know, like a football player or somebody, you see them drinking Gatorade. That makes sense. The other time is when someone's been ill and if they've lost for one way or another, lost a lot of fluid, Gatorade's a good way to put those back, the minerals and salts. Kids, there's no reason for a kid to be drinking Gatorade. No, there's, you're there's no benefit, right. and it's right. just right. loaded with sugar. You know, um, I've seen thing. Uh, if you know the chef Jamie Oliver, Jamie's been very big behind getting school lunches turned around. Started in England, went to the United States, and has been trying to do it in Canada too. And he came into one classroom. I saw a video he did of, with a crate of vegetables. I was showing them to the children. He'd hold them up. He held up like a, a bunch of tomatoes on a vine and said, what is this? And the kids couldn't tell him. Oh. He held up uh, – so, uh, I think it was he held up a beet, and they said, what is it? He said, what is this? And they had no idea. They, could, uh, they couldn't identify a potato because the only way they see a potato is as an order of french fries. Right, right. They couldn't identify beets. They could identify carrots because they've usually seen those as little carrot sticks. But he held up vegetable after vegetable, and they couldn't identify them. That They're, is that it's is because they don't they don't insane. see them at home. That's right. You know. And part of the problem, of course, is you know the working mums, and mm-hmm. nothing against working mums. I mean, we live in a in an economy where that's necessary, but it's easier to open a can. Or open a bag from the freezer, you know, oh, yeah. than it is to take something from scratch. And so I mean, working, they're in working, a catch twenty two too. Yeah, working parents, period. You know, not just saying, not just working moms, working moms exactly. and dads. Yes. You have a two income family where they're both out of the house. It's easier to come home, throw that frozen pizza in the oven, or or pop something in the microwave. I mean, you see these little microwavable lunches. They go on sale all the time in the supermarkets for a dollar each. Well, there's a reason for that. You might as well eat the box. There's probably more right. nutrition. <laughs> That's what I've said, too. You know, I got onto my mom. She got into <clears throat> these noodle bowls. I don't want to name names because I don't want to get anybody sending me nasty mails, but you know what I mean. Yes. And she would have one of these things every day for lunch because it was quick. It was easy. It was She saw it as having chicken soup. And I showed her on the label because that was the thing I years ago became a label reader is that there was 1,200 milligrams of salt in oh one goodness. bowl of soup. I said, that's like three days worth of salt for you. My mom's 85. I said, there is no way on, on God's green earth you should be having that much salt in one sitting. You know, it, it's, it's hidden everywhere. Did she realize it then at that point? or She did. She stopped, she stopped using them. Now, you had mentioned, um, and which is normal, the bullying that you, you know, were subject to in school. What right. about as an adult? Oh, did absolutely. this turn into prejudice of any kind, and how did that affect you, and what type of prejudices? Um, well, I've said to people uh, for years that fat is the last acceptable prejudice. You, can, you can't make cracks about people's race, religion, gender, sexual identity, whatever, but fat, you're fair game. Uh, and the movie industry um, or, or entertainment industry in general, because I'm a part of that, maintains that. Right, The fat guy is always the butt of the jokes. But a good example of how it hit me – Again, when my kids were little and I was, you know, way at my high point, we went to the mall, went to the food court, and I, my wife's, you know, wrangling two small kids, which everybody knows is like herding cats. So I said, <laughs> "Go grab yourself a table, sit the kids down, I'll go get the food." And as I'm walking back with the food, I heard there was a table of teenage girls giggling and snickering at me, and I heard one of them because she said it loud enough for me to hear, 
No wonder that guy is so fat. Look at his lunch. Oh. Because I had four drinks. Of four course. Burgers, four of fries. course. Of yeah. Course. And they just assumed that was all for me. Um, I fly a lot for doing my shows. And you get onto a plane and you have to ask for a seatbelt extender. You know, I mean, how embarrassing yes, yes, is that? Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, you're wedging your, yourself into uh, airplane seats. Movie theater. I didn't go to the, And I'm a diehard movie fan, but I didn't go to movies for years because I couldn't fit in the seat. It because it's not they're not built to accommodate. We go to a restaurant. I would have to insist we got a table, not a booth, because I couldn't fit in a booth. Of course, I had to have a table so I could move the chair. It's it's the little accommodations that people and, don't think about. Of course, and yet they were fears probably yeah. of of your own. Like, what am I going to do if they don't have a table when I go to that restaurant? And I'm sure it, you're not alone. Oh no, no, yeah. I when you when you when you're a really large person, you scope out all this stuff ahead of time. Amazing, you know, because it, it can be really embarrassing. And people will just say things. I mean, I had a woman. I remember one day I had been doing a show at a mall, and it was a hot day, and I'd finished my shows, and I thought I'm going to have an ice cream. It was a nice hot day, and I had this ice cream. And this woman, who I didn't know from a hole in the ground, just walked up to me and said, "Do you really think you should be eating that?" The gall. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, pardon? You know, like, what are you, my mother? You know, like, yes. I was stunned, and people would do that sort of stuff all the time. How did you respond? I handed her the ice cream cone and walked away. <laughs> and how did it make you feel? Oh, I wanted to crawl in a hole and pull it in after me. So this was all contributing to when you decided to turn your life around, obviously. It was yeah. all, these, all these things. How long yeah. of a process was that when you decided to make – when you made the decision to change to when you actually started doing something about it? And did you have times where you fell back? Oh, fell yes. Off? Okay. When I really started the process uh, was the year 2000. Um, it was a couple of years, as I say, after hitting the, the 425 or whatever on the scale and the issue with my son – Worked at it. I got into doing the exercises. Weight started coming off. And like everybody does, I I hit a point where I went, this is just too hard. And I stopped. Mm. And the problem is, is that when the weight comes back, it brings friends. Um, and so I had to start all over again. And the big thing for me was when I joined Tops because uh, in the last four years, I've lost a significant amount from there. Mm. From as I tell people, that 425 is my mark because I don't know how high it was. But from that 425 to today, I have lost 189 pounds. That is – and I still have to 30, be applauded. <laughs> and I still have 35 to go. So I'm still fighting this battle every day. So what happens then after 35 pounds? How, do you, how are you going to maintain? Continue to do what you're doing? Keep it, yeah, um, it, it's – you know, the, the diet has completely changed. Uh, I exercise regularly. Um, I recently uh, got myself one of those, uh, the Fitbit. And my goal is, you know, is right now is 10,000 steps a day. And I'm doing that about four or five times a week. Uh, I remember the first time the Fitbit, I don't know if you ever know about this, but when you hit your 10,000 steps, all the little lights light up and the thing vibrates. Oh. <laughs> I, I thought I'd broken it. I just, <laughs> You know, this thing just started to vibrate on my hand, and I didn't know what was wrong. And my daughter said, Dad, you hit your 10,000 steps. That's so cool. Um, it will be maintaining. But I've seen so many people spend – and I and I say this very carefully. The diet industry is a multi-billion-dollar scam, period. I believe Richard, that. To, Richard told me a long time ago that people go on a diet. I don't even use the word diet. I'm on an eating plan. People go on a diet to lose X number of pounds, whether that's 10 pounds or 100 pounds. You do that, whatever your diet is, right? South Beach, whatever. You do that till you lose that weight. And as soon as you lose that weight, you go back to eating the way you used to eat. Right. And it all comes back. Follow up people who were on The Biggest Loser. How many of them have gained it back or at least really? a significant portion of it? Really? Uh, the, the guy who won season three gained it all back and then some. I didn't realize that. Once they leave – if I lived on a ranch for four months and somebody beat me with a stick eight hours a day and made me work out, I could lose weight too. But you go back to the real world and your real job, your wife and your kids, and you can't be in the gym. That's you right. Know, five hours a day or whatever. It has to be realistic. And this is when I go motivational speaking. This is what I explain to people that 
it's much more than just eat less and move more because if you don't get to the root <clears throat> of why you're eating, what's causing you, what hole are you trying to fill? There's a seminar that I that I put on and it's called What's Eating You because it's it really is about what's eating you, not what you're eating. What you're eating is a symptom of, as you said, a much deeper issue. And for a lot of people, it's filling a hole, something they're not getting in their life and they're trying to satisfy that with food. So if that basically goes to my next question is what you went through emotionally because the emotion <clears throat> I can only imagine would go from one extreme to the other. Oh. You know, the joy of, of winning a, a small victory and then the depression because you lost a victory. So yeah. how did you cope with that? That was where my faith came in. Um, that and, and my wife. My wife has has you know stuck by me through literally through thick and thin um those two things have have kept me sane i always say that people that's kept me from sitting in the corner cutting paper dolls uh. because there are very high highs and very low lows yes um because the problem is i look at this kind of from the perspective of of an entertainer as a as a comedian and a ventriloquist when i'm on stage if there's one person in my audience who's not laughing I forget the 999 who are, and I'll look at that one person and go, how come he's not laughing? Uh. And, it, and it becomes kind of the same thing in the, in the world of weight loss or, or on my journey. If I have a bump in the road, I forget sometimes all the successes or you forget how far you've come because what happens is people see me and I still – I look like I still got 35 or 40 pounds to go. And people go, oh, there's a guy who's 30 pounds overweight, and, I, and I'm like, no, I'm a guy who used to be. <laughs> 425 and it's hard in my to, in my head to go why don't they get this well because they didn't know me then right my wife is a, is a, her hobby is she's a scrapbooker and she's been going through old albums now i used to religiously avoid cameras i hated having uh -huh. my picture taken and she's been going back through old albums trying to consolidate them down and doing her scrapbook thing and she keeps finding these pictures from that time period and, you know, she so, go, hey, you know, you think you haven't made progress. Look at this. And I'm just floored. Um, Was that me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I don't some of them I don't even recognize myself. The one that I use uh, in most of my media now, it's like my in my Facebook stuff. And whatnot. And I think it's the one that shows up when you on Skype is that split screen. Yes. Of, of yes. Me. And that was me pretty close to the high point. That was after I lost a bit. I was used to be bigger than that. Uh, and the one that's beside that was taken about a year ago, and I've lost since then. I actually have just had another photo shoot done recently, so I'm waiting for my photographer to get that back to me. Did you have health issues disappear as a result too? Well, um, not – well, kind of yes and no. Um, I had really high blood pressure. You know, as I, My doctor always used to say I made the bell ring, and it, my blood pressure is now totally normal to the point that my endocrinologist had to take me off the blood pressure meds because I was getting lightheaded well, that, all the time. That's major. That's major. Um, when I went in to see him, I said, every time I stand up, I get lightheaded. And he goes, well, why do we still have you on blood pressure meds? He said, your blood pressure is fine. I went, you're the doctor. You tell me. So he took me off of that. Um, I see him about every six months. And in September, we're looking at taking me off the cholesterol meds because that's getting better. Uh, I'm still diabetic. I don't believe diabetic uh, diabetes is cured, may go into re, re, uh, recede at one time. Uh, I'm just happy that my A1C numbers, anybody who's a diabetic understands that term. Yes. They're target. They're where they should be. Um, so the health issues, some have gone away. Some have gotten much better. I don't you think the diabetes will go away, but uh, it'll be in control. And the cholesterol will be in control. The blood pressure already is. So, yeah, the benefit and not just those specific health benefits. I get out of bed in the morning and I've got energy. I was just going to say, how do you I, feel? I, That's oh, the other. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I can do stuff that in the you get this image in your head that you're still that guy. You're still this 425 pound. And my wife will say, well, why don't we go for a walk here or there? And I go, Are you crazy? I can't walk that far. And then suddenly I realize I've gone twice that. Wow. And as I say, doing this 10,000 steps a day, it's getting over that mental image of yourself. Did your mother live long? Like, is she still alive to see she's, this yeah. change? Okay, so. Yeah, she's still here. She must be applauding you and your oh, yeah. success just yeah. phenomenally. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. great. That's wonderful. Yeah, we lost uh, we lost my dad last November. Um, 
what I was excited about, and this is a total different issue, but my mom and dad still live, well, my mom still lives in the little town up north that I used to live in. And I went back there uh, a couple of times to perform. And my dad was not a big supporter of me when I was in theater and whatnot. And in 2013, my dad actually got to see me perform, got to see me uh. do what I love to do, where my other real passion is, is entertaining an audience and making them laugh. And dad got to see that before he passed away. So that was that was very cool as well. So tell me about that. Tell me about your performing uh, career and, and is that as a ventriloquist or? Yep. Uh, okay. I am, I'm a ventriloquist. Uh, I, I used to do a lot of magic. I still do one or two things because I have a closet full of magic I have to justify. But um, I'm, I, I absolutely love making an audience laugh. I fell in, in love with ventriloquism when I was five uh, through a, a guy who was a local TV show host. Mm. Uh, we, we had a show here uh, called Pete's Place with a guy named Peter Ralston. At the same time, Seattle had uh, J.P. Patches. It was around that same time. Yes, now. yes. And uh, Peter was a ventriloquist and a magician, and I fell in love with ventriloquism. I, I learned how to do it whatnot. And when I moved back to uh, the Lower Mainland, I met Peter again. He was performing at a shopping mall, introduced myself uh, to him. I had actually been in the audience. He had sort of the equivalent of the peanut gallery when he did his show here. You could write in. He'd invite you and your family to go watch them do the show. So I said I was in your audience when I was six, and he, him and I just became the best of friends, and, and he was my mentor and my teacher till he passed away in 2006. Um, but I look at it as I'm carrying on the, the torch for Peter, um, entertaining a new generation of kids. That's wonderful. Because I, I mostly – I don't I, – I very briefly did the whole nightclub thing, and mm-hmm. I realized entertaining a room full of drunks is just not for me. <laughs> um I do kids and families. I do the whole two to 102 thing. That's my favorite audience as a complete mix. Um, I used to tell people I was like a Bugs Bunny cartoon because there's visual funny stuff that the kids get. Yes. And there's another yes. level of humor that's there for the adults. People don't get that quite so much anymore. So I say, well, it's like a Pixar film if you watch like Toy Story or Cars. It's obviously visually funny for kids. But then I have that other level that lets mom and dad and grandma and grandpa know. I'm I'm there for them too. And they can have a laugh as well. Yeah, well and it's also a bit of self-preservation because I've done birthday parties where you're keeping the kids entertained, but if you don't keep mom and dad entertained, they just have their own party at the back of the room. <laughs> and That's very true. I I make them a part of it. They realize that there's some jokes that are coming to them and and I'll use a mom or a dad in my shows when I'm doing a fair or festival, I bring adults up as well as kids. Um and do some audience volunteer bits and whatnot. So it lets everybody know it's a family show. Um, my tagline uh, on my advertising is Canada's favorite family ventriloquist because that's that's, that's my market. And is your market in Can- just in Canada or do you have you go to the States as well? Um, the problem is for a per- Canadian performer in the States, it's incredible to hump the hoops you have to jump through. Ah. So, so I pretty much have stayed here. The only time I've performed uh, in the States, I go to a convention uh, every year or so depending on how the Canadian dollar is doing. Is down in, in uh, Kentucky. Uh, believe it or not, there is the world's only museum dedicated to ventriloquism. Oh, is that right? Uh, in in Kentucky, it's in a little place called Fort Mitchell. It's right near Cincinnati, and we have a convention every year. Uh, thir- this year is 38 years, I believe. 600 and some odd people come from like 18 countries around the world. And one of the purposes of the mu- of the convention is to keep the museum open. Part of the money goes to it, but it's also just for ventriloquists to get together and, and teach each other. We have classes on how to be a better performer, how to yeah. write routines, how to do the business of the business because it's called show business for a reason. You know, um, Exactly. And, and, yes. and trust me, 600 ventriloquists in one hotel, that's a lot of fun. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> we drive the staff crazy. You never know you, what voice is coming from where. You and know. you must have made some good <clears throat> friends along the way too then. In the oh, business. I have. I have. I have ventriloquist friends around the world now. That's wonderful. And you have, now, is there a common denominator between ventriloquists? Like, do, um, in other words, do a ventriloquist do that because they want to hide from reality? Like, do you understand yeah, what I'm asking you? Or? Well, yeah, it's not, it's not hide from reality, but it's like uh, comedians or actors. Um, we're all going, please look at me and please like what I do. Okay. Right. It's, it's kind of seeking approval. 
and that's any performer, singer, dancer, that's a good magician, point. Yes. What, you know, it's we want people to notice. Uh, for ventriloquists particularly, most of them when you talk to them off stage are very shy uh, w- because their dummy gets away with saying stuff uh. they never say. And, and that can be really fun at times that the dummy can get away with stuff. I'm just amazed. Do you have uh, lots of dummies? I do. I have a number of characters. Um, they are all animal characters because we're actually billed under Neil Bacon and his crazy critters. Okay. Because I do so much with kids, I used to have the traditional uh, figure, and I love them, uh, what are called a hard figure, a carved figure. They scare the willies out of children oh. <laughs> because they're every bit as big as them. Uh they look like them, and at the end of your show, you fold them in half and put them in a suitcase. Children find that upsetting. With the my characters, they look like stuffed animals. Uh, they're made. Most of them are made by a company um, used to be in the Czech Republic. They're in France now, called Pavlov's Puppets. And the other ones come out of California, uh, a company called Axtell Expressions. They're very kid friendly. They're cartoony type faces, and people just Excellent love them. Point. That I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I can see that would affect kids. Well, one one ventriloquist I know, he had a, so, a had a puppet made for him, soft animal puppet, but it was a snake, and they made it, and it had the big fangs and whatnot, and he'd bring it out, and little kids would start to cry because oh. it was too scary. So yes. he sent it back to the maker, and they said, put big buck cartoony teeth in it, you know, which we know snakes don't have, but put them in. Right away, the kids loved it because it oh, was a much goodness. friendlier face. Isn't that interesting? Now, my main character actually was bought by a friend of mine who lives in Texas. Um, he bought this puppet. As ventriloquists are prone to do, you buy a puppet thinking it's really neat and I'll find a way to make it fit my show. Bad idea. You need to have the character first and then find a puppet that will suit that. Um, mm. So he bought the puppet as an impulse. didn't work for him. So he sends me an email said – I have this puppet, and I'm thinking of putting it on eBay, but I wanted to offer it to you too, and I uh, to you first. And I open up the email, and there's a picture of this big pig. Well, I'm the lights came on, and the heavens opened. Right here's a ventriloquist named Bacon, and someone's offering me a pig. <laughs> um, so I bought this pig from this friend of mine. Um, now I've customized him a bit. Uh, he wears some really snazzy striped shorts. He has a red T-shirt that says "Here Comes Trouble," which Aww. really kind of, which defines his personality. Um, and he wears a toque, which has got Canada embroidered across the front. Oh, and that is his, cute. his name is Horton Hogg. Um, now, Horton is my main character, uh, but I have Clarice, the Wonder Chicken. Uh, she's a, the world's only mind reading chicken. She's a diva, very much like Miss Piggy with feathers. <laughs> uh, I have Castor, who's a beaver. Um, we we do I do a lot with kids, so we do a lot about the beaver being Canada's national symbol, and okay. the educational thing. But Castor is not real bright; he actually thinks he's a cow. Oh. <laughs> so we spend the first parts of our routine explaining he's not a cow; he's actually a beaver. Uh, I have uh, a very goofy-looking parrot, kind of a bird, who escaped from the London Zoo. So we have a lot of fun with him. He's very very snobbish. And the other one I have is Stanley, who's a sheep. Who's very much a nerd. Uh, he has pants that come up to his armpits, and he has big horn rim glasses. And he likes to study ladybugs, and he's allergic to wool. So who comes up with these characters? Do you? And Me. do you do your I own do. writing as well? Oh, I have to. That was one of the reasons. One of the other reasons I switched to these kind of characters because the traditional, you know, for lack of a better term, the Charlie McCarthy type, the cheeky boy or cheeky girl. Everybody writes the same routines. Okay. Right, the same old routines about sc- all the old jokes about school or their girlfriend or their parents. But well, I'm using a pig and a sheep and a chicken. I can't do those, so I have to come up with original material. Uh, for example, with Clarice, I've just I've uh, just written a routine recently where with kids we do a lot of libraries and uh, we try to tell the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and she insists that it's Goldilocks and the Three Chickens. Okay. <laughs> and and she keeps interjecting, you know, right, trying to right. change the story. And the, the kids would think that's so funny. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh, with Stanley, um, I wanted a character that was very shy, very laid back because all my other characters are quite outgoing. So I went to Ivan Pavlov's website, looked over his characters, and I thought, well, a shy animal is either going to be a rabbit or a sheep. Too many magicians and other performers use a rabbit and hat kind of puppet. Now, I, went, eh, I don't want to go there. Didn't like the sheep that he had, but then I saw he had this nerd rabbit with these horn rim glasses and the oh. pants. And I said to Ivan, can you put the glasses and the pants on the sheep? 
And he said, oh, yeah. So he customized it. So Stanley's a one of a kind. Uh, and he customized it for me. And then I thought, OK, he's got this a nerdy kind of a voice, whatnot. And I thought I gave him some nerdy hobbies. He likes to watch ladybugs and ants. And I thought he should have an allergy, which explains his sort of nasally congested mm. voice. So I came up with the idea that he's allergic to wool. Oh, that's funny. And that is also, and, I, yes. and if it's an adult audience, like uh, I do service clubs and stuff, and I'll say, "Are you allergic to anything else?" He says, "Yes, mint jelly." <laughs> Kids don't get it, but no, mom and dads exactly. Love it. So, do you like on your website? Um, is there a place if somebody wanted to hire your services that they could do that from your website? Is that the best way to get in contact with you? It, it is. I actually have two websites because um, I I have one for. Uh, I do uh, the motivational speaking, and I also do one-on-one weight loss coaching. Okay. Uh, that website is www.gethealthywithbacon.com. That has okay. that has raised a lot of eyebrows when people get healthy with bacon. Exactly. Like, what does that mean? Yes. And the other one, uh, my ventriloquism website, is www.baconandfriends.com. Okay. Well, that's easy to remember. Yeah, get and that's all about my bacon. shows. Yep. GetHealthyWithBacon.com right. is um, like for one-on-one coaching to help. Right. And, and uh, weight, weight loss, one-on-one weight loss coaching as well as motivational speaking. Uh, I will speak to companies or groups or, you know, whoever. Um, I will come into a company and explain how they can put in a wellness program in their Excellent. workplace, yes. how they can have a healthier work environment, that sort of stuff, as well as share a bit of my own story. Um, I always tell people I'm not a doctor, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a physical trainer. I'm just a guy who's done it. That's right. And that's, is continuing that's to do right. so. And that's that's very important. It's easy to tell somebody what to do, but it's yeah. a lot easier to share what you've done. Well, and I look at I over the years I've looked at so many trainers. I thought this guy has no clue what it's like right. to wake up, right. you know, with no energy, feeling fat and feeling disgusting, being looked down on by society. So you have no desire to go work out no energy to go work out because you think what's the point they're just going to make fun of me anyway it's a vicious and, cycle right and and yet i'm being as prejudicial as anyone else how do i know that guy wasn't a fat teenager i recently i've made friends with a guy who is a trainer runs uh, an organ a company in town here called fitness town is a an amazing well-built trainer and he showed me photographs and yeah he was the fat guy in high school and one day he turned it around so i can be just as prejudicial the other way you know That's a good thing? point, yes. Um, when you try to find a gym, I always said to people, I don't know where a fat guy goes to get in shape, but it isn't the gym. You have to be in shape before you can go to the gym. Well, otherwise you get the prejudice, right? You do. You get looked down on. You get yes. snickered. You see, you know people – people must think I'm, I'm blind because they, I don't see them talking about me, mm. you know. Um, so that took a long time to get over too. Now the gym is one of my favorite places, you know. What is the connection between ventriloquism – I can't pronounce it. I'm sorry. Ventriloquism mm-hmm. <laughs> and motivational speaking. Well, part of what I do, I, I, don't, I don't like to give away too many of the surprises, okay. but I do, as I say, when I do this seminar, uh, I've actually got one coming up in July in New Westminster, BC, for those who may be listening locally. It's called What's, uh, What's Eating You? Part of it, when I start out, I, I bring out a whiteboard. And I do a couple of illustrations. I talk about the scale when it hit the 425 and stuff. And then I said I, – I decided at that point I needed to have a word with myself. And I actually draw a picture, like a portrait of me then, the, the much heavier Okay. Me. And I said, and this is kind of what I was looking at when I looked in the mirror. Well, then the eyes on this picture start to move, and then the picture starts actually talking to me, going, mm. hey, you know, like what happened? Half of me's gone, you know, and we I, I literally have a conversation with myself about what happened and why I decided to turn it around. And when I'm finished, after this picture's finished talking, I erase it. And it just floors the audience because yes, yes. they watch me go from a blank board, draw the face. It talks to me. We have this little conversation and then I erase it. Then towards the end of the seminar, because I throw a lot of heavy stuff at people, pardon the pun. That there's a lot of kind of shocking statistics out there, like I've been saying about the the snack industry, yes, the industry yes. and whatnot, that I bring out Horton at the end, and Horton claims that I'm an imposter because the guy he used to work with used to be a really big fat guy, and I'm not that guy. So uh, we have this little conversation right. at the end that 
So and then he actually talks about so you're actually going to be here because I thought that other guy was going to drop dead and go no I plan to be here for quite a while oh well that's good and that's kind of where we end in saying that you know we're going to be here and that there is hope you can do this too. Well I can certainly see Neil that you are definitely a motivator because it is always good to hear a motivator or someone who is going to motivate you to do something and they have already done it and obviously you have you've been successful in that. That's major. That's major. Then you have a sense of humor on top right. of that. And and then you have your performing. I mean, you're just a you're you're a phenomenon. <laughs> we we try. Know, we that's, try. It's excellent. I mean, I am I am motivated just listening to you. And I'm also motivated. I would like to see one of your shows. I think that that, you know, I've got grandkids and I think that it's wonderful to be able to take them where you know they're going to be geared towards them but also i can enjoy it as well and i'm sure that other listeners would feel the same way that they can well they they uh, they can find some of our we do have some video clips up on youtube okay all right um, if, if, you have if they're looking YouTube, up uh, is it neil bacon on youtube or it, it is but um it's very easy to misspell because my first name is spelled n-e-a-l-e okay if they just look up neil bacon ventriloquist and they'll find all kinds okay. of wow. all kinds of clips there so you heard that. Get healthy with bacon.com. And I'm assuming that you don't let your people um, just give them one session in coaching and then you just let them go. I'm assuming you're no. the kind of guy that you're going to stick with them and help them see their, their goals. Exactly. We have an, an initial sit down as to see how prepared they are to make some changes because okay. this is not an easy thing to That's do. That's right. So our first session is actually about an hour, hour and a half. And then we, I, I do them in sort of um, a minimum three months. Oh, okay. where, where we where we meet once a week for three months, and at that point, it's up to them if they feel confident enough that I've given them the tools they can move on. Great. If not, we'll do another three months. But it's not something you can just sit down, have coffee, and say, "Well, here it is," and then turn them loose. It it's a process, and there's going to be bumps in the road, and they're going to need to talk to somebody. And go, hey, how come this isn't I did what you said. How come I haven't dropped 50 pounds like they do on Biggest Loser? Well, because that show's unrealistic and it doesn't work that way. And so, you also are going for long-term goals. And I'm exactly. sure you stress that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You didn't put this on overnight. It's not coming off overnight. And I'm accessible to them via email as well. Okay. You know, That's once good to know. Once they're, once they're a, a coaching client, they can email me their questions and concerns between our sessions. You know, let me know how things are going. And so, yeah, I don't leave people on their own. So gethealthywithbacon.com and then baconandfriends.com is your website to um, utilize your services as a performer. Right. And I'm sure that you would you do a variety of things as far as, uh, like you said, some companies or children's things or schools or right. – um, I, I, okay. uh, I forgot to mention I am also a blogger. Okay. Uh, I, I have a blog on this whole weight loss journey. All right. And this one's a bit longer. It's – uh, all one word, low-fat bacon bits. Okay. You, know, you, you notice we have a bacon theme going here. <laughs> Lowfatbaconbits.wordpress.com. Okay. Low-fat bacon bits. Well, this one will all be on your page, too. When I do your page yeah. up of your podcast, it will all be on there. So we'll have all that information. Right. Now, if they go to the Get Healthy with Bacon, they can sign up for my newsletter. Okay. And it will also take them to a page where they can download five uh, health tip reports uh, tips for dining out tips for going uh, grocery shopping tips for being healthier in the workplace that sort of stuff so there's some free free goodies on my on my site so one final question for you today neil is mm -hmm. what's your call to action for our listeners uh i would it would be nice if if at a minimum they could uh, subscribe to the newsletter okay uh, i would want them to go have a look at the um at the website uh because podcasts reach out so far, the one-on-one -on -one coaching can be done via Skype That's right. uh, as well. Uh, so they don't have to be – I live in Burnaby, B.C., which is right next to Vancouver. But you don't have to be here. If you are in the lower mainland, you know, we can actually meet. But I'd be more than happy to do uh, coaching with people over Skype, uh, whatnot. So look into it. Consider is this something that you really need? Are you tired of being tired? Are you – you know, the old uh, you, uh, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, a lot of it is behind the food. And people need to ask themselves, 
why am I eating? What hole am I trying to fill? And maybe we need to talk about that together. And your enthusiasm is exciting. You know, it, you it's wonderful to see how enthusiastic you are about not only what you've accomplished, but more importantly, what you can do to help somebody else. And that, that I believe, is one of your motiv- motivations now is to help other people. It, it is because I, I have a granddaughter now, uh, seven months old. Her name is Hannah. And I wasn't able to be there for my kids when they were really little. I couldn't play without getting winded. You know what right. I mean? Like I couldn't get down on the floor and play. Well, I have a little granddaughter. I got a second chance. That's so there's there's some motivation too. Exactly. But I didn't turn it around until, you know, I don't want to say late in life, but in my 40s before I turned it around. I'm 56 now. So it's never uh, too late. No, know? it isn't. And that's the thing. You know, it's, it's the number one killer. The obesity epidemic is one of the number one and will continue to be get bigger and bigger and worse and worse. Um, it'll end up being a number one killer in Canada and the United States, and people need to turn it around. And we do that one step at a time. Exactly. And, well, one, Neil, day at, and one day at a time. <laughs> right. It has been a pleasure. You have been, like I said, enthusiastic, motivating. Um, we look forward to what else you're going to offer when we go to your website. And hopefully we might even be able to connect someday in real life. But if not, this is this is a great second uh, second chance to be able to do that. Um, thank you for your suggestions for um, regarding eating. Thank you for um, just many of the things you said. I two things in particular that I really liked is: Are you digging your graves with a fork? I think that that is something that we really have to look at. And it's not just for people who are obese, but it's for people who are eating uh, and causing problems to their health, you know, not just obesity. And the other thing was don't wait to like yourself after you – to lose. How did you word that again? Don't wait to like Don't yourself. Don't wait until you've lost the weight that was to it. like okay. yourself. You're only going to be a smaller version of the same person. I love that. Both of those I contribute. Those are from Richard Simmons. Oh, they are. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, I was trying to listen to you and write at the same time. So. <laughs> yeah, Richard, Richard okay, had so shared both Richard. of those with Okay. Me. All right, Neil. Thank you so much. I'm sure that we will be hearing more from you, and we look forward to looking at your websites, and we will talk again. Great. Thanks, Carol. Thank you, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.